Welcome to Body IO FM with your host Kiefer. And today we have another consultation call, so a good opportunity for everybody to hear somebody with very specific problems as we work through them. And we cover everything in this episode from spine health, uh, particularly in athletes to how to counter some of the problems that may come up if you did ignore spine health and the timing of meals and also it's important when you get your macros in what meal and we touch on eating the right amount of calories for your metabolism which in fact means your body can't then mobilize body fat that you want to lose and we touch on cardio and a few other things how women use carbohydrates differently than men and you know a few other little nuggets gluconeogenesis is in there we cover hypoglycemia and how that happens very often to a lot of people and they just don't realize the symptomology that goes with it and it's pretty easy to identify uh, so this is Chris and we'll just start it off because he gives a pretty good synopsis of himself and his situation right off the bat. I hope everybody enjoys. You know, I'm a 38-year-old male. I'm uh, 6'1", about 205 right now. Um, probably first read car backloading seven or eight years ago uh, and have basically been following it ever since. Um my wife is on uh, Carbonite Solutions uh, kind of at the moment. Uh, I grew up kind of, you know, eating a traditional Western diet, uh, but was always an extremely active kid. Um, and I was, I was always skinny, um, always pretty low uh, body fat percentage, uh, not necessarily too muscular, uh, but definitely, am, uh, definitely would be considered skinny. Um, Computed at sports at a pretty high level, did some MMA post-undergrad, uh, and as a result of that, I've kind of accumulated a decent amount of uh, soft tissue injuries. So, you know, things like labral tears, medial meniscus tears, things that don't necessarily need to get surgically repaired, and with some PT mm-hmm. and some common sense, you can kind of just live with it. Like, you know, I did power lift a little bit and compete in high school, uh, but traditionally, or typically speaking, you know, I do like an old school bodybuilding training split uh, for the last 13 years, call it. You know, I lift three to four times a week um, and everything was basically going fine for years until about a year ago. Um, And it just started off where I was just not feeling like myself. Um, I was constantly achy, constantly in pain. Uh, mentally, I wasn't in a good spot. And so based on listening to your body IO podcast with Dr. Gordon, I reached out to him and started working with them. Um, you know, things came, things started getting better. Uh, mentally, I started feeling a little bit better. I was getting less anxious, more confident, started to feel like my old self again. Uh, but then all of a sudden, I uh, kind of started having severe uh, shoulder and bicep problems on my right hand side. Hmm. And these were pains I had never kind of dealt with previously. So, um, and this is, I apologize, this is kind of a long story, but I think it might be important for the second half to kind of get through this. But yeah, so I, um, you know, it got unbearable 
I couldn't even hold a gallon of milk at 90 degrees at the elbow. Uh, and it just felt like a tearing sensation in the middle of my bicep. And I, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. So I go, I live in Chicago and have access to, you know, great doctors and went to um, an orthopedic surgeon. And he was convinced, you know, after they do all those tests, and I've been seeing this guy for 10 plus years, uh, that I had a tear in my subscapularis, which he was dumbfounded by because apparently it never happens younger than 40 and it's typically in your 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result of that, I go get uh, MR arthrogram on my shoulder. Uh, they do an uh, MRI on my elbow and bicep, and then also one on my neck because I was having a little bit of neck pains. The bicep comes back completely fine. The shoulder comes back, subscapular is completely fine. Um, the labral tear is still there, but actually doesn't look much worse. And while they see, you know, some general debris and scar tissue and inflammation in the shoulder joint, nothing really structurally is that bad. Uh, as a result of that, they basically scheduled me for what's called a biceps tenodesis. Uh, which is where they remove the long head of the bicep from the head of the humerus in the shoulder socket, cut it off, pull it down about two inches, reinsert it into your humerus. But the point being is you get it out of the shoulder socket. So in theory, there's less debris uh, in the shoulder. uh, And so things move uh, more easily. And then the shoulder or the bicep tendon itself isn't constantly getting rubbed and inflamed. And maybe that's what's causing my referred pain down lower in the bicep. Um, Did you have that surgery? No. So. Oh, whew, good. I was, I was like, it's like a suspense radio show. I'm like, oh, please, please tell me you didn't do that. Well, I was about to. Uh, and, uh, but before this, the, the shoulder guy would cut me, he said, listen, your neck MRI came back with some things. I'm not a neck guy, but I don't think they're that bad. Go get them checked out and you got to be cleared by neck guy before I'll cut you. So I go to the neck guy and he's like, yeah, I see what he's talking about. I agree with him. I don't think it's that bad, but here's what I can do for you. I can give you a cervical spine epidural and you know, maybe while you are recovering from your shoulder surgery, your neck won't hurt as bad and you'll have one less thing to deal with. I said, all right, cool. So he gives me the epidural. I leave two days, three days later when the the corticosteroids kick in, 95% of my symptoms in my shoulder and my bicep go away. Mm -hmm. So I go back to the orthopedic surgeon for my pre-op. I'm like days away from surgery. And he's like, well, surgery's off. You have a nerve issue. You don't have a shoulder or bicep issue. So he sends me back to the spine guy and the spine guy goes, okay, well, uh, typically what I like to do is kind of a burst of three shots spread out, you know, a month apart. And then we reassess from there. You know, sometimes you're totally fine and nothing ever happens to happen again. Uh, Sometimes, um, you know, we'll have to do one shot, you know, maintenance shot a year, but let's just get through these three shots and, and see what the outcome is. So I get the second shot and nothing gets better. So I still, you know, I'm 90, 95% better overall, but no marginal improvement after the second shot. I go in for my third and final shot, and this is where disaster starts. So he decides to move up a level. I think he was between C4, C5. He goes up to C3, C4. And then because all my symptoms were on the right-hand side, he went from like the middle of my spinal column to more of the outer edge. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know about this, but like they do it under fluoroscopy. So there's like x-rays and you lay on your stomach because they're literally sticking a needle in your right. stomach. Yep. And that's when the trouble hit. He struck a nerve root. And I thought I knew pain uh, in my life. And it is like nothing I could have even imagined. And as a result of that, I basically had this involuntary convulsion and screaming. Uh, and next thing I know, the three nurses that are in the, the procedural room are jumped on me and pinned me down. And I'm like, what the hell? Why are you doing that? And then I realized, oh, yeah, it's because you literally have a needle in your spinal column. Yeah. So uh, I leave. I An hour later, I'm walking out of reception. I pass out completely. Never passed out in my life. Um I wake up the next morning, I have excruciating pain. Long story short, I spend the next two weeks in and out of ERs talking to neurosurgeons, almost had to have an emergency laminectomy to relieve the pressure because there was built up fluid at the base of my brain and my neck and they didn't know if it was blood or if it was the corticosteroid that just hadn't dispersed yet. Uh, Blurry vision, uh, lost my hearing. I still have permanent ringing in my ears, just basically a shit show. And what they ultimately thought happened was that when I convulsed and like screamed and got up that the needle, uh, essentially I got a, what's called a dura puncture, which can be common in females in the lumbar region when they get, you know, epidurals to Mm -hmm. birth a child, but it's not really a big deal down there, but apparently can be, it's not always a big deal, but can be a bigger deal the further you go up the spine. And then oddly enough in healthy males, and, you know, I think you uh, lived in San Francisco, right, for a little bit. So I don't for, know if you remember. Yeah, a little bit, like 12 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you follow sports at all, but uh, from being from Chicago, he was on the Bulls championship teams. But the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, kind of missed a full season of games over a two-year period. And what I recalled was like, oh, yeah, complications from back surgery. Well, what it was was after researching it after my injury was I think he had like a thoracic fusion. And while they were in there, they nicked the dura and it was the dura tear that caused him two years of issues, extreme pain, headaches, et cetera. Yeah. So that I was kind of that, you know, fat tail outlier case where it severely, severely messed me up. Uh, I had to miss a month of work. I was basically bedridden and when I say bedridden I was like 23 hours of the day I had to be perfectly horizontal Mm -hmm. um I only basically sat up to try to eat drink or go to the bathroom and that was it I had to do a month of that um and oh my gosh I mean we've all missed a couple weeks of workouts or maybe a month or two for a, a tear or something but the amount of damage that goes and happens to your body when you're not moving at all for a month is insane so I like everything fused together, like my shoulders, my back, my hips. I just like couldn't even move. Um, finally, after a month of that, I'm up walking around. Uh, at this point, I've already lost 15 pounds. So I was 185. I'm down to 170 and I just basically atrophied all my muscle. Um, I look like Vince Vaughn, you know, kind of skinny fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, finally then for a month, I got to basically start walking around. And then a month later, I basically started stretching because I basically had to like become mobile again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a couple months of physical therapy and then 
kind of over this long, arduous six to nine month period, I slowly get more and more active. I feel a little bit more and more better. Um, my symptoms, most of my symptoms are starting to go away or get better and, and things on the up and up. And as I start finally lifting, and when I say start, you know, I was doing like five pound dumbbells, like a geriatric workout in a senior citizen center. But, um, you know, I started putting on weight and I was like, oh, this is great. Everything's kind of reverting back to the mean. This is fantastic. Um, But my strength came back extraordinarily well and the weight started coming back, except I had blew through 185 and next thing I know I'm 190 and I'm like oh that probably makes sense you know I probably accumulated some body fat over those months so now that I'm getting my muscle volume back I'm just weighing a little bit more and I blew through 195 I was like oh this is weird Um, I'm kind of eating what I've ate for the last seven years Um, and I'm working out now now I'm working out and lifting weights three to four times a week so I'm doing more and yet still gaining body fat and and it was all body fat and predominantly in the midsection. Um, so this all seems odd to me. So I'm like, well, okay, well maybe I just need to cut back calories a little bit. So I do that and I keep gaining weight. I'm up to 200 and then I cut some more calories and finally I get it to plateau at 205 pounds and probably the worst shape I've been in my life, meaning highest body fat percentage I've been, you know, I've never gotten a DEXA scan or anything, but my guess is I, and I'm sure most people think they're lower than they actually are, but my guess would be I, you know, when I was younger, I was probably like eight to 10 last five or seven years. I was probably low teens. I'm probably 19, 20% now, which is by far the worst I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, I finally got the, the, the weight to plateau, um, and then I started, you know, as a result of kind of changing around my macros, and this is kind of what I sent you in that chart, was I kind of came to the conclusion that um, on my old ultra-low carb days, I wasn't getting enough protein. So I tried to kind of fix the ratios a little bit, increase the uh, protein, but because I kept gaining body fat, I tried to keep the calories same, so I, I, I dropped the fat. I've been doing that for about two weeks now. Uh, I seem to maybe have lost a pound, um, but it's a little too early to tell. But basically, this is why I reached out. So after all of this, I'm stuck in this uh, state that I absolutely hate. And I'm a little confused for the first time in my life as to what to do next and what to do better. I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm an extremely compliant uh, client or patient. Uh, I literally have no problem eating the same exact thing at the same exact time and the same exact amount every single day of my life. That's totally fine for me. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't doesn't cause me any issues. So I'm compliant to, you know, the gram on all of my macros. I never cheat. Uh, I don't, you know, I drink occasionally, but not often, you know, maybe once a week. Um, you know, I'm lifting three to four times a week and nothing seems to be working. So with all of that, (laughs) uh, based on the things that you've seen and based on things that I've said and based on kind of my ultra low carb day and my carb days, is there anything that's jumping out from a dietary perspective or macros perspective that that I should hear? Uh, A few things. It puts a 
it casts a different light on a couple things from your blood work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, if we talk about those, I'll cut it out. So it casts those in a little different light now. Um, so the problem with, with your macros, they're, they're actually not that where you brought them to in your situation is is actually not that bad. The, you cut, you essentially cut your fat level in half and uh, almost doubled your protein, which it's uh, for your numbers. That's probably about right since you're trying to lose body fat. You might be having too much protein uh, too early in the day. Okay. Uh, so, well, and unfortunately, the macros are only part of the picture. So I don't know where that, what that 10 grams of protein is coming from in the morning. Is it coming from a shake? Is it coming from yeah, meat? That, is it coming from cheese? That's your... Um, in CBL, that's 10 grams of whey, that's um, heavy whipping cream in my coffee, and then a tablespoon of coconut oil. Got it. Okay, move any protein powders. Move those towards the end of the day. Okay. Is the first thing. Uh, I know it, it, it sounds like a small change, but it'll actually be somewhat significant. Um, I, I just a couple comments on your neck. Yeah. Issues. Do you still have any of the pain or nerve issues? Yes. Uh, they're not nearly as bad. Yeah, because my f- how I would have assessed the situation bef- before the surgery idea, you probably even if you're especially in the C3 C4 region. When you're high up in the neck, if there's any deviation to the alignment of your spine, and that deviation could be side to side, it could be a slight bit of a collapse from the discs, you're a really active athlete, so I'm guessing that's probably the case. You might have some minor bone spurs right there. Sorry, I forgot to tell you that in seeing some of these neurosurgeons, I got a bunch more MRIs on my neck, and I was diagnosed with spinal stenosis. And then uh, basically, I think like four discs, I think it was like C3 through seven, were like half were bulging and half were herniated. No, no ruptures, and they were all minors, um, but there was definitely uh, more stuff found as they dug deeper. Yeah, I mean, your initial doctor listening to you should have just picked up on that, like knowing your history. I'm not faulting them at all. Like, I know that their analysis context is skewed. Um, So I understand. So I'm not trying to say they're a bad doctor or something like that. But uh, knowing knowing your background and your history, like, that would have been my first assessment. You had some disc issues there, and you're out of alignment, which would cause even the slightest nerve pinch there can – do all kinds of crazy stuff, especially on the arms and shoulder. Like I've seen minor pinches atrophy somebody's bicep, um, you know, just minor stuff. And the first, and what you can try now, since, you know, we can't change what happened in the past is 
and I know people knock them and I'm not trying to put them up on any kind of pedestal, but if you can find a chiropractor who does manual adjustments mm-hmm. and uh, see if I can find a video or describe it pretty well, but there's also an exercise you can do. Well, it's not even an exercise. It's just a resting position you can do for like 30 seconds a day. It's with the aid of a chiropractor adjusting your neck periodically, it can actually line all that stuff back up. It doesn't matter that your discs are herniated or if they're collapsed or any of that stuff, it'll help line it back up and alleviate a ton of that nerve pressure and probably alleviate all the problems you have in your right arm. I assume you're right-handed. Yes. Yeah. It's not, not abnormal situation, especially for somebody who's been athletic. It usually happens on their dominant side. Okay. Um, so in a chiropractor who does manual adjustments is important. That means they, they know how your spine works. If they're trying to use all kinds of little devices, just leave. Okay. Yeah. They, like the hammers and stuff. And- yeah. If they're using that stuff, just leave. You just need somebody who does manual adjustments. Those are the chiropractors who will fix things instead of trying to get you to come back over and over again. Okay. And that'll that the the exercise is actually real simple. Or I don't know why I call it the exercise, but you know, essentially, oh, like a foam roll. You know, a foam typical foam roller. Yep. So you you lie down on that with it, kind of your posterior delts. Essentially, that that axis is just below the high point when you're laying down on the foam roller and start to lightly just let your head hang somewhat relaxed back over that. Okay. And my guess is the first time you do it, you're going to feel a lot of discomfort. Yeah. So when you feel that discomfort, you don't have to hold it in that position. What you're trying to do is work up to, letting your head hang all the way back relaxed for 30 seconds. The first time you do it, my guess is you won't be able to let your head all the way back and you definitely won't be able to do it for 30 seconds. Okay. Um, But you, you have to couple that with some neck adjustments. Okay. Because yeah, right now what's happened with the discs, especially the collapsed ones, what they've done is they've kind of essentially like set in a groove so they don't want to move and so the chiropractor will just open that up and once it's open then you can manipulate it and get rid of all your your nerve issues all of that stuff got it if that makes sense yes yes it does okay and there's also i mean if you have that problem in your neck i'd also be a little concerned about your thoracic spine mobility which of course you don't yeah okay i'm constantly working on it with physical therapists yeah, so the this is an exercise. Um, you essentially that you can use the foam roller again. You start it at the bottom of your rib cage in the back. So you're lying on your back, and you put it. You start it down at the bottom of the rib cage, and you basically just do crunches on it. Yep, and do those. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you do the thoracic mobility exercise. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good. Are you, and you're, just to be sure, you're breathing out on the way down, correct? 
uh, I have not given a second of thought to my breathing. So probably huge, not. hugely important because if your chest cavity is pressurized when you're in the down position, when you're lying back, okay. you're not, you're not getting the mobility in your thoracic spine. Okay. So I want to be essentially out of breath when I'm leaning back. Yes. And it's completely opposite of how you breathe when you normally exercise. So most people do it, don't do it correctly. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that should help loosen up your thoracic spine, which will actually help to prevent you from getting more neck problems down the road. Got it. Yeah. I can definitely tell, um, I try to do what I'll, what I'll call mobility, kind of physical therapy, like workouts three times a week. Um, and a lot of that is around um, thoracic extension, thoracic rotation, lower trap activation. Um, but I find like if I get uh, a little lazy on those and it gets in the way, uh, I slowly kind of feel that pain and tension kind of creep up from the thoracic to the neck for sure. Yeah, uh, so that should that should help a lot. And you might also, I don't know, did you did they do any X-rays or scans of the thoracic spine? You know, uh, they did not. And I've been thinking that maybe I should try to go back and have that done. Yeah, because something else that can cause what you were describing in your arm is a rib head out of socket on the spine. Okay. So, you know, the the ribs attach into the spine, of course, and they ride in this little, there's a little lip that holds them in place, mm-hmm. and they can pop over that. And once they do, it can cause, again, tons of pain throughout the entire shoulder, the arm. Uh, it can limit your range of mobility, how your scapula can move. Sometimes, like, sometimes it just feels like moving your scapula in some direction, trying to move your arm, it just, like, will freeze. Yeah, so that's another possible, and that's again a chiropractor who does manual uh, adjustments uh, be able to fix that. Like the first day, you'll feel a major difference. Okay. Um, but depending on that, you you only want the X-ray well a to see if it's out, but also if it's been out for a while, then that lip is worn off, which means that rib will always pop out. Oh yeah, right. Um, so you'll want to see if that's the case, because if, if that is the case, then there's other exercises you can do <laughs> to try to bring in some extra support so that it doesn't pop out as often as it could. And actually you can ask the chiropractor those and bring somebody in with you. Like you can bring your wife in with you. Your wife can put them back into place when they pop out. Okay. That's like the easiest adjustment to do. All right. I'll definitely look into that. Thank you. Yep. So, okay, that's all the spine stuff. I just wanted to <laughs> yeah. get that. Well, it, it, you know, it's super important. People don't people don't realize how important that maintenance is until it's too late. Yes, and I absolutely concur with that. Yeah, I was this. I was the same way. Like I, I worked on some, you know, mobility stuff, but not, you know, not seriously. And then, you know, I paid a price for it. Yep. You there. Okay, so now let's get back to your diet. 
And okay, so your ten a.m. ten a.m. meal is the ground beef and some cheese. Correct. Essentially, and then your two thirty. Identical. Identical. Okay. And so is my seven p.m. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, oh. I, I wasn't lying when I said I eat the same thing in the same quantity every time. Yeah, that that makes it easy. I, I do the same thing. I've been eating basically sausage and eggs for every meal. Well, I've been working so much because I just don't want to think about it. Just trying to think how to rearrange this a little bit. Because what I would like to do is lower your protein amount at that 10 a.m. meal and move that back as well. If you look at the uh, the 9.30 a.m. on carb day, meal two. Yeah. Something with like that macro profile. Well, no, that that's worse. Oh, because you also dumped all the fat too. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I want to keep the the fat around where it is and like cut the protein in half essentially. So you could use a different beef instead of the ninety three seven. You could use eighty twenty, and not eat as much, and then that that'll probably pretty much do it. What uh, you want, so you want about 23, 25 of protein and 23, 25 of fat? Yeah. In that meal, I'd want to see those two be about the same grams. Got it. Okay. I can do that. I'll make that work. Yeah. And then you can move, move, you can add that protein wherever you want or don't add it. I I would add it in because on your non-carb days, like you're, your your protein's right in line there. I'll throw it in the seven o'clock meal then. Yeah, let's see. Your fat, 124 grams. You think you're, and this is the biggest you've ever been, right? Well, no. I in college I was 225 with you know probably nine percent body fat, but. Oh, okay. Sorry. So this is the softest you've ever been. How's that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's what I meant. Six, one, two, five. So your, your calories are about right for your energy needs, right? So what that means is you're not accessing your body fat supply and at your size and where you think you are, your body can supply somewhere around 30, 35 grams of fat a day. So you need to take that off your fat total. Uh, if, if you want to really start mobilizing the body fat. I mean, you don't have to take off the full 30 grams. But right now you're at that cusp of your body doesn't have to mobilize much body fat at all. To keep and the then, calories the same though... Uh, isn't my only other option than to increase the protein? Uh, no, no, no. You don't have – so that's what I'm saying. Your your calorie intake is probably right at your body's needs. Oh, okay. okay. But you have to get some of those calories from your body fat supply. Got it. So okay. that's the problem. So you need to drop your diet. As, as you lean down, then you need to pick the calories back up because your body can't supply as much fat for energy. So I would start – I would try to figure out your diet to try to cut 20 grams – and do that for a couple of weeks, see how it, how it's feeling. If that's not quite right, then you can, you can cut another 10 grams. I just, I don't want you to cut the maximum amount right away and that be too much. Like your body's not ready to give all that up yet. 
Um, and then that's going to throw us your hormones out of whack. And then we have a whole new pro we have two problems to fix instead of one. <laughs> okay. And right now with your estrogen level, your, your body might not be able to give up the full 30, 35, you know, it might not be able to give that up at the moment. Sorry. I can cut that out if you want. No, that's fine. Okay. All right. That's easy enough. Um, if there's nothing else on my ultra low carb day, do you have any comments on my carb day? No, I mean, the, the carb day looks pretty good. Your carbs are right. I mean, you're not maxing out your carb capacity, but you're carb backloading. Correct. Yes. So how, so is this just on work? How often are you doing? You only have, wait, I'm confused. So you have one carb day? Um, no, sorry. This is uh, any day I lift weights. So, and I, that's usually three times a week, sometimes four. Got it. Yeah. Then these numbers look good. I mean, I don't know what your workouts look like. Like I, I obviously I haven't seen you work out, yes. so I can't fully assess how, how depleted your carb levels are going. And maybe you can give me some sense of that about how depleted you feel, say three to four hours after the well, how, so, uh, there's so many questions to ask. Um, so on the workout days, when is your workout? I'm trying to figure it out. I'm the meal three at three 30. That's my pre-workout. So I work out four to five. And so the meal at 6 PM is waiting an hour to have my first protein shake. And then an hour later is my carb meal. Got it. How are you feeling before you have is the post-workout shake immediately or it's about an hour about an hour about an hour how are you feeling before you ingest that um i feel like it's weird so when i used to work out and after workout i felt jacked and cut um mm -hmm. now after a workout i feel like flabby uh and like it's weird like my fat and what are now love handles for the first time in my life but like it's like ice cold like it's like really cold to the touch and that's something and i and i kind of feel like yeah you get a little i get pumped right uh, so mm -hmm. there's some level of a pump but overall i feel like my body's pretty depleted after a workout that's all in line yeah you're probably your carbs are probably right on target then can you do you have a problem breaking up your post-workout shake no, what I would recommend to try is take that 120 grams of carbs out of that post-workout shake and have that. I don't know. Is it a powder or what are you using? It's a uh, Vitargo. Actually, I would use find a just solid glucose okay. and drink that right after you're done working out. You can you can add some whey protein to it if you want, but don't ditch your protein shake. That's an hour later. Just move the carbs back to immediately after you're done working out. Okay. Same quantity, 35. Yeah, totally. You can actually, if you want to shift some carbs from meal seven to that shake, you can do that as well because so immediately after working out, you've got a 30 minute window where the majority of carbohydrates that you ingest that make it into the system. So that's why glucose is a good option. They, they go straight into the muscles. You bypass liver storage. You bypass any storage in the splachnic bed, which some carbs can be stored there. You bypass any 
conversion into fats that like you're just filling up the muscles and you got 30 minutes roughly to, to get that done. Um, so you can push more of your carbs directly into recovery doing it that way. I, I'm trying to make every suggestion to make to get your progress back so you get back down to where you want to be. Not just, oh, I don't like that you're having carbs that late. You should, you know, it's it's not that I'm I'm trying to uh, trying to get this tweaked because I can totally empathize with your situation. <laughs> How is the leg? Oh, it's crap. Really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a long story I, the i had a call earlier today too they asked to it's it's bad i mean it it could be worse i guess but not much worse <laughs> well I, I you know it, it it's kind of a situation where even the best repair my outlook for future activity is i will probably be able to walk up steps again ouch yeah yeah it's it's pretty bad this time but you know whatever shit happens i'll just design some sort of leg brace and take care of it. There you go. Um, okay, so you said 35 grams of carbs right after my workout. Don't wait the hour. Can you get straight glucose, or do you have to do, like, dextrose powder? Uh, well, dextrose is glucose. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they call it D-glucose because it's right-handed. You could probably find levoglucose, but, I mean, you would just shit it out. Oh, pardon. Sorry for the crassness. <laughs> Couldn't care less. Um, okay, so then, uh, so I do the 35, do I still do 35 grams of carbs at 6 p.m. an hour later after my workout in that shape? No, no, take those out. I mean, okay. so from, if you, if you can move 20 or 30 grams out of your 7 p.m. meal too, you know, I would, I would bump up your post-workout carbs to like 50 grams of glucose oh. because you're probably, you're easily going to store that in your muscles and any, any spillover will get stored in the in the liver which is fine yeah. you know that's that's such a precious window of time to ingest carbohydrates and then cut those out of the 6 p.m shake you all your protein content there is fine and what do you eat at 10 p.m that's just protein is it another shake yeah uh just three scoops of uh casein oh okay that's fine i, I have no no comment <laughs> All right, um, that's helpful. Oh, I'm, I'm assuming uh, meal one, even on my carb day, uh, remove the protein, the 10 grams of protein. Yeah, as you can move that stuff back. So, and this is this is oh, this is the hard part about doing any of this and like writing a book because it's you know it's always it depends. Right. So when you're trying to lose the fat and you in the morning, if you ingest a, a fast absorbing protein then if your goal if you're in your situation like you're trying to mobilize body fat as much as you're doing anything else so that protein after not having eaten all night like there's a ton of gluconeogenesis actually in that happens in the intestinal tract as the protein moves through so you're essentially getting a bit of a carb rush first thing with that protein in the morning now, if if you were already leaned out and you were working, or you had an excess amount of muscle mass, like you would never notice. But with with your entire situation, your blood work, everything else, it, it is making a, a difference. Okay. Easy enough to remove that. So, what else you got for me? Um, 
I don't do any cardio. Should I incorporate one day a hit or no? <laughs> uh, I want to be careful how I answer. Okay, why are you asking? Let me uh, let me ask that first. Is yeah. it for health? Is it what? what uh, is again, it? just this body composition, body fat thing going up. When can you do the hit? If you wanted, to, if you were to add it, like what time of day? Uh, I can do anything. Well, that makes it super simple. I mean, incorporating it one one or two times a week in the mornings, first thing in the mornings. So it's not going to give you a huge fat loss advantage, but what it can do is make sure that basically all the enzymatic trapdoors that can limit fat mobilization, it just makes sure those aren't going to be hampered by anything else. I mean, so it's it's one of those things that's you could almost put it in the minutia category, but it is an optimization and one that will bear fruits no matter what you do moving forward. Okay. Sometimes uh, on my carb nights, on days I lift, when I go to bed probably about 10, 10.30, um, I all of a sudden start getting extremely hot like to the point where I start sweating. Um, is there anything I should be thinking about or tweaking? I, I don't know what that's supposed to be telling me, if anything. So, I mean, I always take that as a good sign. Okay. I thought I had heard you say that previously. So. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's there's nothing negative that comes along with it other than the excess body heat, which can be uncomfortable. Yeah. It could be so. Is that the only sensation that comes with it? So you're, I assume this happens not too long after you go to bed? Correct. It might make it a little harder to assess, but is this just just your body temperature is rising, just sweating, but you don't actually feel like you're that hot, and maybe you're a little fuzzy in the head when it starts to happen? Yes. Oh, this, the second one. So you don't necessarily feel really hot, but you're sweating and feel a little fuzzy? Yes. Okay, so you're going hypoglycemic. It's just minor hypoglycemia. Throw some some sort of fat or oil in with that last protein shake. It'll probably end it pretty quickly. Do you have any caffeine towards the end of the day? My last caffeine is at 3.30 in my pre-workout. I mean, you just have normal response to caffeine? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so it's probably out of your system by in three hours. Caffeine's not always great pre-workout, depending on what you do immediately after. So I just told you to do the carbs immediately after. And caffeine can slightly interfere with that, and it can... I mean, so the bulk of the caffeine's, well, the bulk of it's out of your system in like four hours, but it still has a long tail, and you're eating the majority of your carbs in the tail, Got it. which can also cause a hypoglycemia. And and it's kind of a mixed bag because part of the reason for the hypoglycemia is that the caffeine's not allowing 
the rest of your body, particularly, well, anything to absorb the carbs appropriately. So they're getting shuttled into the muscles, which can put you into hypoglycemia, make you feel fuzzy and all that kind of stuff. So it's this mixed bag of good and bad, but regularly experiencing hypoglycemia before bed is, is not good. So I would suggest dropping that, dropping the amount of caffeine you have prior to your workout is one way you can get around it. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's actually it, in your setup here. That's the only way to get around it if, if it's the caffeine. So what you can try first is add some sort of oil or fat to your last shake and see if that remedies it. Mm-hmm. And if not, tweak the caffeine. Got it. My guess is the, the, the fat in that last shake is going to take care of it. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Why? I hope everything I say is helpful <laughs> or else this is a waste of your time. <laughs> I've taken good notes. So. Okay, good. Um, I think we're approaching time. So ah, it's, if you've got more, I mean, we spent a lot of time in your neck and shoulder issue, which I don't think you were expecting. So it, it's totally fine. If you have more questions and stuff, let's, oh. let's try to get as much knocked out for you as possible. Okay, great. Um, and these can be kind of rapid fire. So um, I think I've read an article about yours on creatine before that they're all kind of equal, just use the cheap monohydrate stuff. Um, but I, I don't know that the article specifically addressed um, creatine hydrochloride, uh, which I've read is can sometimes be less bloating on people. And I tend to bloat, so I've been taking it. I just want to make sure that it's not useless. Yeah, no, it's... It's fine. Most of the alternatives are just, you know, expensive versions of creatine monohydrate. So if it helps with some symptomology, then functionally it's equivalent. Okay. Um, I guess another thing on sleep occasionally happens, and I don't know if it relates to what we just talked through, but occasionally, and, and I haven't been able to tie it to, is it carb nights or ultra low carb days? at night um but sometimes i'll just randomly and this has never happened before just wake up after like five or six hours so like at four or five in the morning and i'm just like wide awake it could be a couple things do you feel let me see okay you're wide awake do you feel like mentally how do i mentally sharp kind of like Yes. You'd you'd be ready to tackle problems or read a book or something. Yes. And any sensations of hunger? Um, no. Yeah. So you're probably coming down off of a ghrelin burst. So this happened periodically through the night, and after they're over, then you also get a surge of cortisol. So you like you feel great. Your brain's super active. And that's just things are just a little bit out of sync is all okay. when that happens. It's it's not a big deal, uh, although, it, you know, if it happens all the time, it can be annoying, obviously. But that's all that's going on. Any other supplements you would suggest? I mean, take creatine, omega-3s, leucine, anything else? Well, I assume you take a multivitamin, right? Uh, yes, yes. 
So I don't know when you take your multivitamin, but on the other half of the day, you might want to add some magnesium. Magnesium glycinate is the one you want. It's the version of magnesium that won't give you diarrhea or anything like that. <laughs> Sounds like a plus. Yeah, well, you know, that that's that's why I choose to take that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you, you ever have any muscle cramping or soreness that seems aberrant either at night or when you get up first thing in the morning? No. Okay, well, then you should be good there. Sounds like you get plenty of cheese. Sometimes one thing that people often don't eat enough of is calcium. Okay, yeah, I, I think I get plenty of calcium, I would think. Yeah, it sounds like you eat, eat a good amount of cheese. Yeah, and then even on my carbonates, I'll sometimes do like, you know, frosted Rice Krispies with some milk and stuff. So. Uh, is the, your calcium, your, um, Casein supplement, is it calcium caseinate or is it micellar? Micellar. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Just curious. Um, so that's actually all I had. Um, I actually, I guess my wife had one question. If you don't <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to like piggyback off of you? Yeah, pretty much. Story of my life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might, <laughs> I might leave that in there just to get you in trouble. <laughs> that's fine she's cool like that oh, okay good but no real quick like she lifts weights two to three days a week um she struggled with body fat composition around her midsection um so in talking with her she does one carb night a week and then if she lifts one or two other times a week right because she lifts two to three times a week she does basically like carb shock, you know, so there's like 15 grams of dextrose, but that's it um, mm -hmm. post-workout. Um, she complains sometimes feeling lethargic, uh, but feels extremely better after her actual true carb night. Uh, and the question is, should she maybe incorporate a second carb night during the week? <sighs> Man, you just can't ask any actual easy questions, huh? <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, I mean, I'd have a panoply of questions around this. First of all, you said sometimes she feels lethargic. So is there, is this like certain weeks or, yeah, describe sometimes to me. Sorry, I, I guess it's actually most of the time. Okay, that makes a big difference. And I, it sounds like she must lift pretty intensely, at least. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it, kind of a, she's she is doing resistance training, and you know, it's it's she's going to failure occasionally and stuff like that. Yeah, because so for men to access glycogen, it's it's, it's like super easy for us. Whatever we do, we're accessing intramuscular glycogen at some level like we're always we're we're using it pretty often if it's in our muscles for women they have to get up into intensity thresholds of like 80 percent and above before they start accessing glycogen for most of the month like 
towards the end of their menses after that, when their progesterone levels are higher, then they actually can access it much more easily. That's why I was asking if if it's more around some one period of the month or not. It, it's hard for me to say with limited information if she should do another carb carb up during the week. Um, part of her lethargy is her lethargy primarily after the workout. Yes. Like for the rest of the day. Yes. I mean that could easily be so. It's not just oh well it's a small amount of carbs, because sometimes too few carbs is just as bad as too many because just like we just discussed your hypoglycemia that you're feeling sometimes that and it's you're feeling an an acute hypoglycemia when you start to sweat Mm -hmm. low level hypoglycemia just can make you feel super tired both physically but even more so mentally you just feel like you have this mental lag and that can last once once it strikes it can last for hours that feeling and having the carb shock on days when she's not eating carbs can easily cause that after a workout it's just too few carbs. Right. Um, she can she can do a couple things to avoid that. She could add more carbs, and then she's probably going to have to kind of play with her diet a little more to get whatever results she's she's aiming for. I don't I don't know exactly what her end end goal is, or she can add something kind of fatty to that post workout shake. Then, in a sense, kind of defeats the purpose of the carb shock a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's that, <laughs> like, mixed bag. I mean, it does have the leucine. It. You know, it still has benefits, but it nullifies the ultimate purpose of carb shock. Got it. Um, so apparently she still has some, and I assume would like to use it. I would recommend if... She can make a shake in a blender, so I'll like throw some peanut butter in there, or some coconut oil, or some coconut cream, something like that. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, that's that's most likely what she's experiencing. Yeah, I guess that wasn't too bad. <laughs> as far as like the ease of answering, because I mean, depending on how you answered some questions, like it could have been a long conversation to to nail that down, but. Yeah. From everything, it sounds like that's the most likely scenario. All right. Well, uh, I think that's everything I wanted to cover. That's it. Nothing else? No, sir. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'll send you the, the magnesium dosage, but any final thoughts, comments, like anything? You got me on the phone, which is just rare in general. <laughs> I don't no. talk to many people, so <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, no, I uh, I really appreciate all of this, but really, there's there's nothing else we can. I covered off on everything, so uh, thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. All right. All right. Well, thank you again. Yeah, great talking to you.